sign here recognized there. Then we saw the significance of it individually, individually, as how it personally impacted these Israelites. This was a generation of people that had seen God do the impossible. They had literally witnessed it with their own eyes. And what the memorial would do would be allow them to maintain this attitude of thanksgiving, this attitude of reverence for the Lord, and have it carry on into the future. And we made a correlation between that and us and our personal experience with the Lord and how God gave us a spiritual landmark. He gave us the Word of God. And what we do in the Word of God is it's a memorial that we can go to that will remind us of what God's done in our individual lives and how it impacted us. Then we talked about how it impacted the next generation as we looked at its impact or its significance generationally. Being a landmark for future generations. So a, 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 a talking point. So when people would see it, they would say, what, what be of these stones? What's the story here, Dad? And what it was, it was an indicator that they were going to share the stories of what God had done. They were going to teach the next generation. And that's something that God's challenging us to do, to teach the next generation. We're supposed to implant the truth of God's Word into someone else's life. Because understand, you and I, we are, we are given this gift, this spiritual landmark that is to be the source of spiritual truth and knowledge and understanding, not only for our generation, but for the generations to come. Amen. So we are to instruct and to teach it. Then we looked at the impact that that memorial is going to have, the impact. And we looked at the fact that this was all about the experiencing, what they'd experienced in this miraculous moment here at the Jordan. And what we saw was the fact that they were prepared to tell their story. They were ready to speak and inexorably tie what took place there and the stories that they would share to this landmark, this specific point. And we correlate that to us. We all have a testimony. If you're a child of God, you have a testimony. And your job is to tie that testimony back to the source, the Word of God, back to the landmark that God has given us. And then we looked at its legacy. As its long-lasting impact, this stone memorial would have on the people. As God gave them this memorial, this thing that they could go to. But see, God's given us a memorial, right? The same, we look here, and this is ours. It's not some dead, inanimate pile of rocks. It is a living book that speaks to our hearts and that is always ever changing and evolving. When you need it to be something else, guess what it does? It becomes something else. When you need it to be a bandage for a wound, guess what it does? It it heals you. When you need something to lift you up, it picks you up. When you need to be challenged, it challenges you. When you need to be reproved, it reproves you. It is alive and it's God's given us this incredible memorial for our lives. So we look today, this morning, we're going to pick back up with Joshua. And what's going to happen here is we're going to shift out of instructions, and now we're going to actually get to some actions. So the 12 are ready to do their job. They're all prepped and ready to go. The people have been prepared. They've been told what's going to happen. God's will is going to be accomplished. And here, God's plan for the, the first official acts of this promised land's new occupants is getting ready to get underway. And this message this morning is titled, is titled Memorials of Faith. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. And giving us the time where we can gather here today around the Word of God. And Lord, I know that you have spoken to me throughout the week. And Lord, I have prayed diligently and I have studied hard. And I ask God, would you help me disappear? As Eric said this morning, this is about you. It's not about us. Lord, I don't want to be heard, but I want you to be heard loud and clear. So Lord, I do pray that you'll speak to us this morning. Help our hearts to be receptive in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Joshua, chapter number 4, verses 8 and 9. 
It says, And the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones out of the midst of Jordan, as the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, According to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them unto the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests, which bear the Ark of the Covenant, stood, and they are there unto this day. So here we're shifting away from instructions to actions. God's plan for the Israelites is getting ready to become a reality. Now, what we need to keep in mind is the fact that Moses informed them of this almost a year before this. Moses told and talked to Joshua as well as the people and let them know that this memorial was going to be built. And what's interesting is when we go back and we look at the instructions, we actually get a little bit more details about the memorial. He tells them back in Deuteronomy chapter number 27, verses 1 through 3. It says here, And Moses with the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I have commanded you this day. And it shall be on the day when ye shall pass over Jordan, notice the wording, pass over Jordan unto the land which the Lord thy God shall give given thee. He says, That thou shalt set thee up great stones and plaster, but plaster them with plaster. Okay? So here we know that they understand it's not just going to be a pile of stones. They're to be put together into a single shape. They're all supposed to be joined together. This plaster is basically what we would call more or less plaster. It's more or less something that's made out of, uh, it's like a mortar that's made out of uh, lime that, that would actually join the stones together. Then we go, he continues in verse 3. And thou shalt write upon them all the words of this law when thou art passed over. Notice the wording that thou mayest go in unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, a land that floweth with milk and honey, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee. So twice we've seen the term Passover show up yet again. We've been in the book of Joshua all this time, and we've seen it nine different times. God doesn't say crossover. He says Passover. Why does he use the term Passover? Because it's always, always, always pointing to the redemptive power of God to bring deliverance. The Passover, right? So we see pictured in this memorial, the stone memorial, that's what's being said. That's what's being shared. It is a picture of that deliverance. But also, notice the fact that it says here that the, the, the stone is to be engraved with the law of God. It's supposed to be written with the law of God. Yet again, pointing to the fact that this thing pictures God's word. The word of God is the key landmark in our Christian lives. It is the place where, guess what, you and I got to experience the redemptive power of God, the power of of deliverance. Not only is this given to them to instruct them uh, for what the memorial is to be over this next year, but God also talks to them back in the past as he gave those instructions. He also talked to them about the consequences for obedience and disobedience. Because if you're in Deuteronomy 27, he talks about setting it up. But when you get to Deuteronomy 28, there's 68 verses in 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 that chapter. And all 68 verses are pointing to the same principle about obedience and disobedience. Check this out. Just an excerpt from it, Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 and 2. And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Notice his wording. If, if, right? And what you'll find is the next 14 verses or next, the next 12 verses, actually, are referencing about the blessings. He describes the blessings over the next 12 verses. So we have a total here of 14 verses where God's talking about blessings. Then we get to verse 15, and he shifts his discussion. Now it's talking about disobedience and the curse of it. Deuteronomy 28, 15 says, But it shall come to pass, 
If thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe to do all the things, all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Okay, so we see God sets aside here 14 verses talking about the rewards of obedience. But then he sets aside 54 verses talking about the warnings of the punishment for disobedience. Based upon that, which one would you think humanity is a little more prone to? Yeah, just a little bit. We have that thing called sinned nature. Okay. So here we are, the Jordan, the Israelites are getting a chance to, to, to display what they've, or to, to do what they've been taught. They have an opportunity to be faithful, to follow God's instructions. So we understand this generation of Israelites, they experienced God's blessings, and now they're going to experience his, uh, they experience his, his, um, their, his blessings, and now they're going to be obedient in doing so. Now their parents were the exact opposite, right? Where we saw one generation, this generation is becoming obedient. We saw another generation that was basically known for being disobedient. Right? And we saw the fact that they suffered the results of their disobedience in the wilderness. That's why they're not in this story. And for those of us that have lived in disobedience to God, can we not attest to the destructive influence yes. of disobedience? Yes. Listen, we, I've told you these verses many times from Galatians 6, 7, 8. Galatians 6, 7 says, Be not deceived, for God is not mocked. Look, you're not going to get anything over on him. For whatsoever that, that, a, that a man soweth, that shall he also reap. What you're going to put out is what you're going to get back. Understand, this principle is throughout Scripture. Verse 8 continues, For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, and he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. He says, hey, here's your opportunity. And if for those of you that are struggling with obedience, and you're playing with disobedience, let me just go ahead and save you some trouble. It ain't worth it. I'm just telling you, it is not worth it. Because listen, obedience equals blessings. Disobedience equals cursings. So we understand this. This is a truth. And if you hold on to that truth, carry that through your life, man. You can't get better, better advice than that. So having clearly been instructed about the consequences of obedience and disobedience today, we're going to witness them being obedient in their intentions, their desires, and their actions as they're actually going to follow through. And what we're going to see here is, first of all, there's going to be two things that are going to be accomplished in our scripture today. There are going to be two different ones. They're similar and yet different. The first one we're going to look at is the memorial of the twelve. Verse 8 says this, And the children of Israel did so as, the jo- as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord spake unto Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them unto the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. Now, there's three things that stood out to me in this scripture. First of all is the identity of the twelve. Notice here, okay, and to pay attention to this, so look, how it, look how they're described. And the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded and took up twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan. Notice that? They're no longer identified as the twelve. They are now identified as the children of Israel as a whole. They are seen now as representatives of the entire body of people. And what you and I have to keep in mind is when you and I interact with this lost world, guess what they do? They take all of Christianity and they see it in you. You become a representative of all Christians, right? Good and bad. So here we are in this as we interact with the world. We've got to be consciously mindful of the fact of who it is we are in Christ. That's why we need to be prayed up and surrendered to the Word of God and surrendered to God's Spirit. The fact that so God, when we go out into the world, we're actually going to interact with the world the way we should. Galatians 5.24 says this, 
It says, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Verse 25 says, If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Amen. So our life should indicate who we are. If we are doing this, what it means is the fact that when the people interact with us, they're interacting with God. That's what we're supposed to be. Amen. Practically, in application, we have to be careful. Because what can happen is we can portray ourselves in a way. We can put on the characteristics of a Christian. We can look the part, but we're not really that person. Does that make sense? Yeah. And Kyra and I actually were, were, we were in discipleship this week, and we were talking about this. And the problem was, he said, you know, I find it so exhausting sometimes to be around people. So exhausting, so exhausting. And I understand. I mean, that is exhausting. No doubt about it. <laughs> you guys are not exhausting right now, I promise. But, but, it, but it can be exhausting. But what happens if we're going into a situation and we're trying to profess and put on this image of Christ? That's a lot of work. You're having to give, 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 give. But see, God's intention is the fact that we just let it, we just let it come out. Right? That's the key. When you think about Matthew 5.16... There's a key word. The action word of Matthew 5.16 is let. Let. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So the power is within you to love people. The power is within you to forgive people. The power is in you to be kind and gracious and compassionate. All that's within you because guess what? You have the Spirit of God and that's the Spirit of Him. The the fruit of the Spirit is going to come out of us. The problem is we have too much of us in the way. That's the issue. So what we find is the fact that you and I, when we go out and we do it God's way, what happens is the less of us they see, the more of him they will see. That's just the natural evidence of the way this thing works. But see, the Bible says, it says, let your light so shine. And we know that we're not the light, right? John 9, 5, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So we're not the source of the light, but we are certainly supposed to be a reflection of it, right? That's who we're supposed to be. Philippians 2, 3 says this, or 2, 15 says this. That ye be blameless. Okay, listen. This is who we're supposed to be. You be blameless and harmless. The sons of God without rebuke. You're living a Christian life in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. You're in the midst of great darkness among whom the very dark people are around. Ye shine as lights in the world. You are not the light, but you shine as a light in the world. You reflect the light that is in you. We represent the true light. We represent Jesus Christ. And again, if we're doing this right, man, the world does not see us. They see him. He becomes our identity. The next thing we notice is the obedience of the 12. As we see, no hesitation. These guys do their job. It says, and the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of Jordan as the Lord spake unto Joshua. So not only does it tell us here that they did exactly what they were instructed to do, but it also says that they did it exactly the way God intended them to. Because it says, as the Lord spake unto Joshua. So they did exactly what they were told in the way they were told to do it. And this is a big deal because in our world, we're very concerned with end results. We're very concerned with the outcome, not necessarily how we get there, right? Have you ever heard the expression by hook or by crook? <laughs> we, may, we may have used that expression before, right? What that means is one way or the other, man, we're going to get to the end goal, right? And that's the way the world thinks. And with the world, that might be okay, but can I tell you with God, it's not okay? 
It is never okay. It's not acceptable with God. See, the people of God, our responsibility is to hold ourselves to God's standard. Amen. He is our standard to follow. He sets the example. Listen to this in 1 Peter 2, 21 through 24. It says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that, you, that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in, his, found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his, in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Meaning that we do all that we do with the express purpose of pleasing God. Amen. That's the reason why we exist, to bring honor and glory to God. Yes. Recognize Colossians 3.23 says, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. You're not doing this for the sake of men. So this means in our private life, in our professional life, no matter what it is, our intention must be to honor the Lord for not only who He is, but what it is that He's done. God deserves our worship. He deserves glory for goodness sakes. Think of where we would be without him. We wouldn't exist, first of all. You'd just be, it wouldn't even be dust. It wouldn't be anything. God created it all. But the fact that he pulled us out of our demonic, destructive state of mind and the where we were in our lives and he brought us out of that miry muck and he brought us out and set us upon firm ground of the word of God and stood with us and protected us and, and, and does so much to, to provide for us. God has loved us and blessed us in ways where we do not deserve. And so many times in our day-to-day lives, we spit in his face. Amen. And you know what he does? He wipes it off and he says, I love you. He's worthy. He's worthy. And then lastly, we look here in this portion is the labor of the 12, the labor of the 12. And it says, and carried them over with them unto the place where they lodged and laid them down there. So what we see is not only the commitment of these men to carry the stones, they selected the stones, they carried these heavy stones, but they carry them unassisted as far as we can tell all the way till Gilgal. Why do we know it's in Gilgal? Because in Joshua 4, 19, it says, And the people came up out of Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal in the east border of Jericho. Gilgal is estimated to be upwards of two miles away from where they are at the Jordan. Two miles. Hello. <laughs> That's a long way to walk with a big, heavy rock. But, so when we look at this, it says, And they carried them over with them unto the place where they laid them down there. So according to this, these men did not put these rocks down until they reached Gilgal. They carried it through. And we look at this and we go, wow. How big were these stones? It's estimated these stones were anywhere between 50 and 150 pounds apiece. We don't know exactly the size of them, but Deuteronomy, God calls them great stones. And that's their estimated size. And I don't know about you guys, but when I go to dog, get dog food at, at, uh, at, at Walmart, it comes in a 50-pound bag. And sometimes you don't get a cart. You're just going to get one thing. And you're just like, I'm just going to grab it and bring it out. And every once in a while, you go and you get that 50-pound bag of dog food. And you're like, and you're like, okay. One thing is it's not hard. It kind of bends around your shoulder. It's not a rock. But then you're like walking up to the front of the store. And you're like, this is, uh, this is pretty heavy here. <laughs> and the further you walk, you're like, dang, oh, man. I'm going like 150 feet. This is pretty tiring. These guys are walking a couple miles carrying a heavy stone on their shoulder. We don't see any complaining on their behalf. Right. 
What we know about these men is the fact that, listen, what's, and there's a cool picture here. Consider this. We know that these individual men are representative of their people, okay? So here's a representative of his people bearing a burden on their behalf, carrying it to a place of rest. See that? Isn't that cool? God is throughout this thing, man. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray and have gone, have everyone turned to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The burden, right? So as we imagine the physical toll of carrying these massive stones, there was certainly been a strain upon these men individually. But we see that these men were hand-selected. Remember, we know they were hand-selected. These are the ones that Joshua approved of and God approved of. So we understand that they're humble and they're submissive, and now we see they are obedient as well. So here they are, man. They're doing exactly what they're supposed to do. And we think about this. This tells us that their motives would have been right. Their heart would have been right about what it was they were doing. They're trying to honor God. And recognize the fact that as they're doing this, we might call it even this, a labor of love. Right? A labor of love. But then we consider you and I and the weight that we've been entrusted to bear. To stand for the truth. To live with biblical values. To hold up the word of God. Holiness. A godly living amongst a culture that stands in direct opposition to what it is that we represent. And listen, man, when your heart's right, it's not that tough. You can do it, man. You can carry the weight. You can stand for the Lord. You can honor the God. But what happens if we're not careful? What starts as a labor of love? Standing for our Savior, proclaiming the truth, being godly, suddenly becomes arduous and difficult and burdensome. Now, it's not because the weight changed. It's because their heart changed. You and I, as we go through this life, the weight doesn't change. Godliness is always the same. Standing for truth is always the same. If it becomes a burden, it's not because God's putting more upon you. It's because you have changed your heart. God's called us to a great work. He's given us a labor of love. But if we're not careful, because I'm just telling you, listen, it does get heavy sometimes. There are times when you go, you know what, this is tough. This is weighing on me heavier than it would otherwise. But we don't give up. We don't drop it and run. No, we stand strong for the truth. We honor our Lord because what happens if we're not careful, what we were at one time doing and we were serving and we were giving, all that we were doing was a love letter to our king. Lord, I do this for your glory. It's not about me. But when it starts to become about us, guess what it does? It starts to become our identity. Well, that's just who I am. It's just what I do. And the love of it starts to wane. And suddenly, we go from having a heart of, Lord, every day is for you, to being like, man, I wish God would go ahead and come back. I wish the rapture was today. Take me out of this place, man. I'm so done with this joint. I'm ready to be out. Right? Amen. We've all been there. Yep. Right? Yep. And that's what's happening. So we have to remember, look, is it still a labor of love? Or is our walk with the Lord simply become a labor? Check our hearts. We must. Then we look at the second thing in this message. First was the first memorial, the memorial of the 12. This second memorial is the memorial of Joshua. 
We see that in verse number 9. It says, And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests, which bear the Ark of the Covenant, stood, and they are there unto this day. So we see here, this is another stack of twelve, another pile of twelve stones. This is setting up a separate memorial. Now, there are some similarities, but there are also some very big differences as we look at this memorial. The first memorial we know is a, is a memorial to God's power and to God's deliverance. And I'm going to make a case for you today that I believe this second memorial is a memorial to God's punishment, God's judgment. Let's examine the points here. First point we're going to first examine is the builder. And it says, verse 9, and Joshua set up 12 stones. So as opposed to the others where, uh, where he had other people do that, Joshua does this one himself. It's just him. Remember that Joshua, that's the Hebrew spelling of Jesus. So Joshua, here, a picture of Christ. We know that Moses, Moses was a picture of the law, right? It's the law of Moses. What do we know about Moses? Moses was unable to bring them into the promised land because guess what? He's a picture of the law. The law does not save anyone's soul. Jesus Christ, the picture in Joshua, is the one that's able to bring them in, right? So we see the pictures that God's painting here. So we recognize the fact that in Titus 3, 5, it says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So we see that salvation is the responsibility of Christ. But guess what? So is judgment. Judgment is his responsibility. John, John 5, 22, Jesus said this himself, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. I'm the judge. I got that job. So where the first memorial is to be seen throughout the promised land by all those that were delivered from it, the beneficiaries of that, that monument. Man, they're going to be like, man, look at that. The second memorial Well, it's never going to be seen again. Because when the water comes back, guess what? It's going to disappear. It is a memorial to those who rejected God's deliverance. And in so doing, they'll never experience what God intended for them, the life God intended for them. Not because it wasn't available, but simply because they rejected it. You see, we either choose salvation through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the sacrificial death of Christ, or you and I choose judgment. So when it comes down to it, that's what it is. Life and death. Second thing we look at is the location. It says, And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests, which bear the Ark of the Covenant, stood. Now, we already discussed, discussed that this appears to be a, a memorial of judgment. But where it's located also points to that same fact. Check this out. It says, In the midst of Jordan. If you see in the significance of this is the fact that not only is the other one functions as a reminder, this one's not going to function as a reminder. This one's going to vanish. The very significance of the fact that this is in the Jordan River. Because what's interesting about the Jordan River, the word Jordan, if you take that thing and you break it up into where it comes from, the Hebrew root of it, J-O-R, you know what it means? It means spread. You know what Dan means? Go to Genesis 30, verse 6, the tribe of Dan. What's he entitled to? He was told to do. He's the judge. Jordan means spread judgment. Spread judgment. Then look at this. The biblical role of water and judgment. In Genesis 7, when God leveled this earth, what did he use? Water. 
In the Exodus, when we got to Exodus 14 and we saw what happened with the Israelites, we saw this incredible picture of the Israelites being delivered through the parting of the Red Sea. But God brought judgment upon the Egyptians, and how did he do it? Water. Yep. And then we think about Jonah. On his run, man. Well, guess what? He gets judged in the belly of a whale. And where is he? In the water. Listen to what Hosea 5.10 says this. The princes of Judah were like them that removed the bound. Therefore, I will pour out my wrath upon them like water. There's an inexorable link between water and judgment. So when we see these 12 stones, the first memorial, man, that one's to life. But listen, this one, this one's not about life. And I also want you to consider this. The 12 stones that are going to be the memorial to life, where did they come from? In the midst of the Jordan. They were in a place of judgment, but they were brought out of judgment and taken to a place of rest by representatives of the people. See that? All this is interconnected. We see the incredible parallels between them and us. The deliverance from judgment through a Passover lamb. That word keeps showing up again and again and again. It's going to show up 14 times by the time we're done. Our Joshua, the Lord Jesus Christ, brought us out from under the judgment to a place of rest. But the location is significant also for another reason. Check this out. The phrase this, it says, In the place where the feet of the priests which bear the Ark of the Covenant stood. We know the feet of the priests was, was relevant because when they stepped foot in the water, boom, the water went back, right? There's significance here. This is literally the spot. So this unseen memorial is right at the point of God's miraculous power. Literally at the feet of the priests. What does that point to? That points to the, tragic, tra- the tragicness of this, of this memorial. To be so close to the miraculous power of God and yet deny it. And marking that place and saying, you know what? This is where you end up. But it could have been something different. Only to reject what God has offered. But then there's one detail about these memorials that's similar, which is their longevity. Last week, God assured us that this first memorial, the one that's in Gilgal, well, guess what? He said it's forever. We saw that was the title of our message. It was forever. Mm-hmm. And the second memorial, he says this, and they are there unto this day. And I believe this is pointing to the perpetual judgment that those who reject Jesus Christ are under right now. Those that will face and are currently facing every single moment of every single day judgment. There is no escape. Jesus said this, Matthew 25, 46. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. So where those who've rejected God's love and a result have gone to hell, well, they're experiencing an eternal death. They're still there. But the good news, those who have received Christ, received his love and accepted the gift of salvation, man, they get eternal life, it says, in his righteousness. It's not our righteousness. We're not righteous. 1 Peter 2.24 says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Right? We are righteous not because we're good people, but because a good God loved us. And because he offered himself a sacrifice for the sins of the world. Picturing these memorials. So today... We've seen two memorials, the first being a memorial of life. As we looked at the qualities of the builders, we saw their identity, we saw their obedience, we saw their labor. 
And then we consider the second memorial, a memorial unto death. And we consider it as we consider its builder, who its builder was, picturing the Lord Jesus Christ, its location, place of judgment, and its longevity going into this day. See, God has given us the freedom to decide which memorial will be ours. We choose. One is a celebration of life, and it'll be carried on for generations and generations and generations, and the other will vanish as a mournful marker of a life lost. When it comes down to this life, it's all about choices. We choose. We choose. Because recognize this, when it comes down to it, we get to choose which one of the memorials of faith will be ours. You know, you know in your own heart. If you're a child of God, you know which one you've chosen. Yes, amen. But if you're not, or if you're not sure, let me just tell you, if you're not sure, guess what? The other one's for you. It doesn't have to be because God's given us a choice. As the Lord reaches out to the hearts of man, he's simply asking us to respond. The question is, what will we do? He's already done all it takes. The price has been paid. He's ready, waiting on us. The question is, what will we do? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you so much for today, God, for giving us this message and the opportunity we have to hear and see how you work in such miraculous and incredible ways. And this book truly is alive. And it is unbelievable that thousands and thousands of years ago, this was written and how relevant it is to today. God, I thank you for the work you've done in my heart, if no one else. Lord, I do pray that you'll speak to us, Lord, and continue to help us to grow and to challenge ourselves in our knowledge and understanding of who you are. Help us, Lord, to realize the fact that we're not here for ourselves. We're here for you. And God, that you have a purpose and a plan for this life. Those days that are good and those days that are hard. And Lord, when the labor feels heavy, Lord, help us to be renewed and strengthened by the word and the truth of who you are, not in our flesh. Our flesh will always let us down, but the spirit will never let us down. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, look, you know what? I don't even know where I stand with God. I don't know. Guys, 19 years ago, I'd never heard the gospel in my entire life, never been in church my entire life, never, didn't really know who Jesus was. But someone cared enough about me to reach into my life and to tell me the truth of who he was, to let me know that he, he died for me on the cross, that he loved me and that my sins would take me to hell. But by his love, he was willing to pay for me and to give me a way out. And I understand today, maybe you're watching this online, maybe you're watching this recorded. And you say, I, I don't have that. That was a realization I had on August 11th, 2001. When he asked me if I knew for sure I was going to go to heaven, my answer was, I hope so. And it doesn't have to be that answer. The Bible says that you can know. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, you don't know where you stand, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to pray to receive him. It's not a ceremony. There's no religious aspect to this. This is simply a broken heart reaching out to God because I can promise you he loves you right where you are. You're not earning it. You're not deserving of it. He loves you. This is a gift that is freely given to you, but the price was paid by Christ on the cross. So as he reaches out to you, if you'll reach out to him and you'll receive the gift, it will be yours. So as I lead you in prayer, you pray this in your heart and mind. It's between you and God. It's not between you and me. I got nothing to do with this. As you pray and you open your heart to him, if you want to receive him, he will receive you. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. 
Repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I am so sorry for my sin, for what I've done wrong and the ways that I failed myself, my family, most importantly, you. I'm asking you today to come into my heart, to come into my life. I'm asking you, Lord, to save my soul and give me a home in heaven. Lord, I believe that you have done a work in my life and I receive you as my Savior. Help me live for you as the days go on. I'll see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray.